for reading God's Word for us this morning. It is seldom I feel so happy to see you. I mean, usually I feel happy to see you, but today even more so, because whether you realize it or not, you survived the end of the world. Now, now it's a bit of an awkward laughter I'm sensing, right? Because uh, many of us were not really paying that much attention to this prophecy, aligned itself to Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, some Christian numerologists did the math, and I celebrate God's goodness because this, again, is a lesson to trust in the Word of God and not the Word of men. This morning, we don't come to hear from a prophet or an apostle. We come to hear from the Word of God. Thank you, Melissa, for reading it to us. I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember this movie because it was made five years before I was born. I know we have some people in our congregation who have the Pioneer's card. So how many of you remember seeing this movie? Don't, don't be ashamed. Young people even. <laughs> I just heard from the front row, it's, it's my favorite. Now, even though this movie was made five years before I was born, I remember it because... My mom was still singing this song 10 years after it was made. I remember as a five-year-old, her going around the house singing, singing in the rain. Because you know Vancouver, it rains a lot, right? <laughs> and then she would jump over to count your blessings, name them one by one. She kind of blended a Hollywood movie song with an old Baptist hymn, and we had worship as she sang. But this is a fascinating movie to me. Yes, though I'm not a pioneer, I have watched it. Thank you, Netflix. It, it, it is a movie that, though made in 1952, it, it's actually set in the 20s. In, in a time when there was great transition in Hollywood, and a lot of anxiety takes place during periods of transition, right? There was anxiety in Hollywood because movies were transitioning from silent film to talking pictures. And so suddenly, it wasn't enough to look good. You also had to sound good. And so in this movie, Singing in the Rain, the two principal characters played by Gene Kelly and Doris Day, they were hired. They, they moved to Hollywood with this big dream to make it big, to be stars, and instead they were hired as voiceovers. So, so that the famous Hollywood star, stars with incredibly irritating, squeaky voices could also look good as well as sound good. And so this was hard for them. They wanted to be their own stars, but instead they were overshadowed by this job that just helped them make somebody else more famous. But in this great scene, Gene Kelly and Doris Day just found something that overwhelmed their disappointment. Who was it? Oh, Debbie Reynolds, an expert. <laughs> it's not good when a pastor's research is not accurate. <laughs> because the rest of you have already Googled it, right? So, Debbie Reynolds, thank you. And, and is it, am I right about the guy? They fall in love. And suddenly, it doesn't matter how dark the day is, how, how disappointing their prospects look, suddenly everything's great. And so this famous scene, he, he walks out, he gets a kiss from who? Debbie Reynolds. 
and it's pouring rain, and he suddenly realized his joy is so overwhelming, he doesn't even need his umbrella. And, and he's dancing, singing in the rain, I'm singing in the rain, right? I, I wrote out the lyrics. You might want to check to see if these are right. What a glorious feeling. I'm happy again. I'm laughing at the clouds so dark above. The sun's in my heart. I'm ready for love. Right? So the amazing thing about this clip is he doesn't need his umbrella. Even though people are walking by him, looking at him strangely, a policeman stops him. He stops singing and dancing because you want to be happy, but you don't want to be a weirdo. That's a Christian conflict, right? We, we want to be joyful, but we don't want to be the weird person at the office. So, you know, so he eventually even gives his umbrella away. So huge is his joy. So saturated is he with sunshine in his heart that he doesn't even need his umbrella. Well, the text this morning is going to take us even a little bit further. Not just singing in the rain, but singing in the dark. And here is the question. Is it possible to find joy and purpose even when your situation even when your context does not support joy. When, when your week or your day or your life period doesn't support joy, is it possible to sing? And, and for those of you who really need an outline, I'm, I'm just going to give it to you now. I'll, I'll give it to you again, but, but here it is now. For those of you who really need the outline. When clouds gather, when night falls, why should we sing in the dark? When clouds gather, when night falls, why should we sing in the dark? And, and maybe you are even thinking about your own life now, because this is essentially the question the people of Israel asked when they were captives in Babylon. This is the Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, we sat down and wept. On the willows, we hung our lyres. For there our captors required songs of us, saying, Sing for us the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the songs of Zion in a foreign land? When, when life is difficult, how is it possible to sing? How can I sing the Lord's song when my child is struggling with school and with life and with friends? How can I sing a song of joy when I can't get over this ongoing sorrow and grief of loss? How, how can I sing and act joyful when I'm constantly ill? When, when my days are getting shorter, when every bone hurts, when half my parts aren't working, how do I sing a song of joy? Is it possible even to sing a song in the dark? So let's go to Scripture. When clouds gather, verses 11 and 12. Now, I'd, I'd just like for you to notice that most of us start out life kind of like this second missionary journey. Initially, things were, were actually not bad, you know. Uh, initially, whoops, sorry, I went too far. In, initially, the, the trip was really smooth. They, scripture says they set sail from Troas right on the coast of what was then called Asia. Now we call it Turkey. It was one day sail to the Aegean Sea, this, this almost pristine island of Samothrace. 
They stayed overnight in that beautiful place. Then another day's travel to Neapolis. And before the sun set, they were in Philippi. Which scripture says was a leading city of the district of Macedonia, which we now know as Greece. But it was also a Roman colony. We remained in that city for some days. Now, in this one experience, in this, in this brief verse, we realize that Paul's missionary strategies are evolving. Remember several weeks ago, he was in every small town and realizing, I don't have the language for every small town. Now he's transitioned from every small town to the leading cities where there's one language that from every corner of the city, people could hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And now he was moving outside of the realm of the Jewish diaspora. Originally, he would go to all those places where there's large groups of Jewish diaspora, and he would immediately go where? To the synagogue. And at the synagogues, he would teach this good news of the Savior who has come, a risen Messiah who lives even now to strengthen and give life to those who followed him. So here's, though, what happens. Just like when you plan this great picnic on the East Coast Park and it's a beautiful Singapore morning, not a cloud in the sky, nobody really notices that we're not seeing our shadows anymore. Clouds come unexpectedly. And this is what clouds begin to look like. By, by the way, um, even when the clouds are coming, good things are happening, right? It, it's not just black or white. I, initially, there's, it's partly sunny, partly cloudy. In Vancouver, they always say partly cloudy. 40% chance of rain. If it rains, there, there, that, there's that 40%. Nailed it again. And on the Sabbath day, verse 13... We went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. This is how you know it wasn't a big diaspora city. Um, some of you know I frequent my, my second office, McDonald's, for the free flow coffee. There was a time in my life that as we explored calling, I would check to make sure the town was big enough for a McDonald's because McDonald's has a standard, must be at least 10,000 people for a franchise. You may not realize this, but synagogues, Jewish law also has a standard. In every town or village, there must be at least 10 men, 10 heads of households. If in any town or village or city there is at least 10 heads of households, that means probably about 50 Jews a synagogue started. If there was less than 10 men, Philippi, they followed Psalm 1. Those who desired to be righteous planted themselves by streams of living water. They formed small prayer groups to worship their God by the side of a river. Saul or Paul knew just looking at Philippi. This is a Roman colony. There's not a synagogue here. Let's go down by the river. And initially they saw some, some good results, right? They, they shared the gospel. And one of the women who heard us was Lydia from the city of Thyatira. That's a city in modern-day Greece. So she had taken a similar route to, through Neapolis to Philippi to do her business, which was selling cloth to royalty, she was well-to-do. She 
paid attention to the good news. She responded, and after she was baptized and her household, she urged us, saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to God, come by my house, stay, and she prevailed upon us. That's a good week for a missionary. Are you serious? Your first weekend, not only do you get your first converts, but you get your base of operation. That, that's an amazing week. This was a great thing. Now, here's something that Sherry and I discovered about, about missions life. Whenever you get comfortable in your base... Whenever you begin to think, yeah, things are, are really going well there, we've got our base settled, God is about to change your base. And Paul doesn't reference it here, but his base of operations is getting ready to change because clouds are gathering. This is what it looks like when clouds gather. As we are going to the place of prayer, means they were consistently, day after day, going to that same place, teaching those women the Word of God. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Don't you know that demons know the truth? This is how you know clouds are gathering. When your head of marketing turns out to be a slave of Satan, clouds are gathering. This is why we need the gift of discernment. Because not every word that a man says is from God is actually from God. Follow these men. They're speaking to you about the way of salvation. For many days she was their head of marketing. It was the kind of marketing that the Apostle Paul didn't want because the quality of the messenger really does matter. That's why discipleship matters. Everywhere in the world, the quality of the message will be judged by the quality of the messenger. Discipleship matters. So the Apostle Paul looked straight through her flesh and spoke to the spirit within her and said, come out. And at that moment, those owners lost an income stream. Clouds gather when the economy is impacted. So we see next that not only are the skies darkening, when our owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the ruler. Uh, by the way, if, if you're having a difficult time in life, if you're feeling, if you're looking at your world right now and you're feeling like, man, uh, clouds are really gathering, you know what's happening? Not only are clouds gathering, but your allegiance is being exposed. Uh, Sherry and I, as you know, we, we were supervising many teams of missionaries in our previous ministry. We were constantly dealing with gathering clouds and the idols that were exposed in our missionaries when the clouds gathered. You know, we all have idols, right? Right? We, we have missionaries who have an idol of comfort. That's why a missionary wrote me and said, I've got to move from this town because why? 
Do you realize, Ian, I've got to take the train four hours to buy butter? That, that's, that's a missionary serving God but has an idol of comfort. I have an idol of comfort because every week I fret over it being too warm in here. And you do too because some of you are like, it's way too cold. What is that pastor talking about? <laughs> when clouds gather, our allegiances are exposed. When darkness comes, even more so. When your faith begins to impact the economy, you will become a cultural heretic. You, you, you know people are not going to believe in global warming if it threatens business. Then global warming will be a myth made up by the Chinese. And we are sure not going to believe in a God who says, sell everything you have if the next thing he says is, give it to the poor and follow me. When faith endangers the economy, darkness falls. More than that, you see, it's not, it's not enough to say, hey, we're business people and these guys have hurt our bottom line. We're, we've lost an income stream. They have to broaden the base of opposition. So, so notice in verses 21 and 24, they, in, they call the crowd to join them in attacking them by, by actually saying, hey, these guys, um, they're not even Romans. They're outsiders. Now, Sherry and I have heard this in Asia. Oh, Christianity, that's the what color man's religion? The white man's religion. Sometimes even in China we hear, oh, Christianity, that's the woman's religion. In, in fact, there are terms in China for you people. You, you, you know, mental illness is Bible sickness. Shang Jinping. <laughs> you know, and, and more than that, there... There is this term in Taiwan, samba, you know, you know samba means it's 3-8, right? It comes from this Western missionary going to this village in China, and he was so frightening, nobody had seen a monkey that hairy or that white. So, so to keep people feeling at peace, they, they put this Western missionary under house arrest, and then after the, the village elders gather and say, hey, we're not barbarians like these white devils. We, we should let him out, but not too much. We'll only leave him running around for three days a month, on the 8th, the 18th, and the 28th. He comes out, and he's so happy to see people. He's sharing good news. He's saying, God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. So now Samba means crazy, man, demented. You see, we have to broaden the base of opposition with culture and racism. Then it's really getting dark. So the crowd joined and attacked them. The magistrates tore their garments off. Do you notice, right? These were business people. So to judge these missionaries, they brought them to the marketplace. 
And the magistrates in the marketplace tore their garments off, beat them with rods, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safe. And having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. This is bad news, right? Because this is a very clever jailer. He's Googled Christian missionaries. He's heard about how they were locked in prison. Earthquake, out they come. Then they were chained by hands with officers on both sides. Something happens. Bright lights, out they go. They keep walking out. What to do? Put their legs in stocks. In the inner prison. This was a dark, dark night. So, maybe you've had a bad night. You know, my, my day was not great because there was a big storm, right, last night. That means water's coming in our apartment. But nobody came and stripped me and beat me. I'm free to walk around. Just putting our night in perspective, this was a night like most of us have never, ever experienced. When clouds gather, when night falls, a night like this, Why should we sing in the dark? The first thing I'm going to say is we should sing in the dark because somebody is listening. You may not realize it, but there are people in your world that notice when you leave and when you come home. There are people who know your schedule. They know you leave about the same time every Sunday morning. Must be Christian what? I knew that when our service was in the afternoon. All the cars missing in our parking lot, oh, those are Christians. Our car was still there, so people were assuming, how can be a white man but not a Christian? Because we're going to church in the afternoon. Here's what Scripture says. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. See, that's, that's the thing about prison. You've got a captive audience. Right. So, so from a missionary's perspective, prison is not awesome. I prefer a base by the riverside. So pretty. Got, got nine ladies there. But here, people aren't going anywhere. In fact, I once had a pastor in our training in China say to me, you know, before I went to prison, they call seminary. Before I went to seminary, meaning prison, I was not a good preacher. I did my best. I preached, but people don't come back next Sunday. But after seven years in prison, I preached lousy, people stay. So I preach again. Every day he preached until God filled him with godly confidence. Uh, in 1999, Sherry and I were brought to uh, Chiang Mai, where we usually did our missionary training. Missionaries were brought there f- by our organization for training, but missionaries went there to hear from one another, to, to fellowship with one another. And I was rooming with a colleague who, is, who was serving, I won't name the, the, the country, in uh, eastern, northeastern Africa. And uh, I stopped telling my stories about how difficult it was to live in Malaysia because Malaysia is actually not that bad. 
<laughs> His stories were just unbelievable. And he, he told me the story of a pastor that he was discipling who had been arrested and taken out of the country and put in a prison, a jail in the Sudan. And it was a jail like none I'd ever heard of because there, there was no roof because the sun was considered to be a part of the instruction. Imagine the desert sun. There, were, there was actually no even walls. They were just cages kind of shaped in a, a horseshoe and then rings of horseshoes around other horseshoes of cages. And there was no walls because they didn't want prisoners just to hear the screams. They wanted them to be instructed by the beatings. And, I, and most of the prisoners, he told me, they, they were in there for various religious in, in, infractions. But there was one, his friend, a Christian pastor, who was brought there for special attention. And, and every night, they would come to his cell before the sun set, and they would beat him and whip him and spear him with rods. And all the prisoners would see it. They would climb up on their cages, the upper ring, so they, they could see what was happening to this Christian pastor. And then in the night, they would hear his groaning as he just tried to find a part of his body that wasn't hurting. But in the morning, before the sun rose, they would hear this pastor begin to sing. In a weakened voice, he would sing, I greet this day with joy, for Christ has borne my sin." By his wounds I am healed. By his peace I am filled. Every single morning, day after day after day, before the sun would rise, all of the prisoners would hear this broken man crying out this song of joy in the midst of the darkest of lives. And then the big announcement was made. This pastor is going to be executed on the following morning. He thought maybe he would not have to endure the beating the night before, but no, they came again. The next morning, these soldiers came before the song was sung. They gagged him, and they bound him, and as they were leading him out of this prison, from every cell... The soldiers heard this song. I greet this day with joy, for Christ has borne my sin. Every prisoner singing with full-throated song, by his wounds I am healed, by his peace I am filled. Friend, I don't know how dark your day is. I don't know how difficult your week is, but you should sing a song of joy because someone is watching you and at no time is the light brighter than in the midst of darkness. We sing because somebody is watching. Well, second, we sing because it refocuses, it reorients our attention on Christ and His work. 
Years later, the Apostle Paul would write to the church in Corinth, and he wrote of his experience as a missionary. He wrote these words to this church. He said, listen, we missionaries, we are afflicted in every way. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We are afflicted but not crushed. We are confused but not driven to despair. We are persecuted but not forsaken. We are struck down but not destroyed. We are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus could be seen. I grieved when I was preparing this because I realized my idol is always encouraging me to run from difficulty to flee from challenges. When God calls His people to sing in the dark, let the death come in your body so the life of Christ can be obvious. And so this is what He says in verse 18 of chapter 4. So we don't look at the troubles we see now. Rather, We fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Some of you pioneers are grieving because you can't do what you used to. Your body is wearing out, right? You've worked hard, but now they don't work like they used to. But what is the condition of your soul? That is what is eternal. Can you say, well, my body's not that great, but it is well with my soul. Outwardly, I'm dying, but inwardly, Christ lives. We sing in the dark because it helps us to fix our attention on the work of Christ. And then finally, we sing in the dark because it's not personal. Now, let me just say, I don't mean it's not personal in the contemporary way. I don't mean it's like when you get a parking summons and the, and the traffic attendant says, it's not personal, I'm just doing my job. I'm not saying that. Pogi, you got one of those? <laughs> I just saw a smile of confession right there. I just, <laughs> it just was running. You know, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean you know, it's, it's not personally against you. It means it's not about me. It means we had a faith that was brought to you by a Western culture that taught you to make a private, personal decision for Jesus Christ. We were told, um, Jesus will be your what? Personal Lord and Savior. Have you heard that? And then we come to Acts 16, and we say, whoa, 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 okay, okay, I get Lydia became a believer, so what? How was her whole family baptized? Because the gospel comes to me not because God so loved Ian that he gave his only begotten son. The gospel comes to Ian on its way to somebody else because God so loved the world. It's it's not about having a personal Savior. It's about joining many and having a Savior of nations. Every tribe and tongue and what? Nation. And we see this in the personal interaction with this, not just jailer, but 
prisoners. Do you get how it's not personal? Suddenly there was a great earthquake, and how many doors opened? All the doors. If it was just about Paul and Silas, then it would be there was a great earthquake, and the door leading to their cell was opened. You see, the, the salvation of God is so powerful. It can't fully reside in Ian without bleeding all over everyone in my community. How many doors were open? Every door was open. How many chains dropped off? Every chain dropped off. How many prisoners ran away? None. That is the power of the gospel. Darkness topples like dominoes. Do you realize if you're sitting here with the treasure of the gospel, you're not an owner of that, you're a steward of it. How many songs are being sung in darkness because we know the Lord? How many chains are dropping off because GBC has re-entered a new building? It's not personal, GBC. It's not about us. It's about Singapore. It's about this nation and the nations who reside here. And that is why we can see that everyone's bonds were loosed, all the doors. Can we not pray, God, open the doors in McPherson? Let chains drop off in this community. Do it for the sake of your glory because it's about your glory, not about our comfort. I need to close with this. By the way, can you tell that there's no clock in the auditorium? Not many of us have a life as good as Horatio Spafford. This was a man of extraordinary privilege. He was born and he died in the 19th century. He's a well-known lawyer in Chicago, but more than that, he was a huge real estate developer, hugely successful businessman. But it doesn't mean he didn't know sorrow. In 1871, his only son died of pneumonia. That same year, much of his businesses, all of his properties were lost to the great Chicago fire. And then in 19, or 1873, as he's looking to rebuild his business, bring back his life together, he and his wife Anna said, you know, let's just step away from business for a bit. We'll, we'll, we'll take a, a holiday in Europe, just enjoy it, just be a great family time, just us and our four girls. And so they booked passageway to Europe. But, but history tells the story that Horatio Spafford felt like he needed to stay just a few days longer and give attention to his businesses. So his wife Anna and their four daughters sailed alone. And if you know this story, in the middle of the Atlantic, the ship that they were on collided with another Scottish merchant ship. 278 souls lost at sea. That he read in the newspaper. He desperately tried to write to find out what about his family. And eventually, he got a telegram from his wife, Anna, saying, I alone am saved. What do I do? 
I, I can't imagine. As he booked first passageway to Europe, somehow in the middle of an Atlantic night, in the middle of that ocean, these words came to him and he wrote them down. When peace, like a river, attends my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot you, God, have taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. This is a song that he sang for the first time in the dark, still grieving over the loss of his children, still wondering how to bring comfort to a mother who lost everything. And yet he sang in the dark of that Atlantic night, it is well, it's well with my soul. I want to invite you to bow with me for just a moment. I have no idea what your week has been like. I assume you have encountered challenges. Maybe you are feeling older. Maybe you feel the pain of old age even now where you sit. But, but maybe here there are others who feel the challenge of raising children in a first world culture. Maybe you're filled with anxiety over the struggles your children are having. Or maybe you're being tormented by a supervisor at work who, who you can never seem to satisfy. Maybe you're having challenges in school. Can you sing a song in that dark? Can you say, whatever my lot, you, Lord, you are teaching me to say. My body can be broken. My eyesight can fail. But God, it's still well with my soul. If you're here this morning and I'm not going to ask you to come forward, bow at this altar or with nobody looking around. If, if you would say, Pastor, I, I need you to pray that it would be well with my soul, that I would have the bold confidence to sing even when things are not well with my body, not well with my life. If you would say, Pastor, pray for me because I want to sing a song in the dark, a song that others will hear, a song that will spread your glory. I want to sing that song. If you could say that this morning, would you just raise your hand, let me see it, and then slip it down again. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Father God, I thank you that you are a God who still speaks today. I thank you that when you speak, your word is reliable, not just for this life, but forever. 
I pray for all these who have raised their hands that you would train them like you did Paul and Silas to set their eyes on your activity in their world. Help us to trust you more, believe your word ever increasingly. And Father, we invite you to let that word sink from our heads down into our hearts so that we believe even in the dark days. So that we sing even when clouds are gathering. I pray that you would do that so that we would face uncertain days with great confidence in a God whose word is ever sure. We bless you, God, for allowing us to hear from you. Equip your saints here to sing a song in the darkness so that nations may hear good news because we know it. We pray this in Jesus' name.